This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. So Abe Bashir had one thing on his job description. Basically one job. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. In 2014, March of 2014, he was working as a security guard in the recently rebuilt area around the World Trade Center. And at 2 a.m., he was caught snoozing, and the picture was sent to the New York Post, and then everything blew up from there for Abe. The, the newspaper article said he was wearing shades and lying almost completely horizontal in a chair where he was the only guard stationed. He was promptly fired. In that same article, Abe said in his defense, actually, I was not sleeping. I was mistaken to be sleeping. I was just exercising my eyes. <laughs> now, I feel bad for Abe because, you know, you read the story, he seems like a really nice guy. And I, I really like the guy. But if you're a security guard at the World Trade Center, you really should stay awake or get fired. That is your one job. Stay awake. Everything flows from that. What Jesus is going to say in this passage, if you're my follower, you're like a security job guard. And really, your one job from which all your other duties flow is this one thing. Stay awake. So in Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verse 34, that you just heard read, Jesus said, it's going to be like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper, or the security guard, to stay awake. Everything flows from that. So in Mark, chapter 13, which I'm going to sort of go all over the place in Mark, chapter 13, and then, but mainly focus on this last verse in the passage, he, he says seven times with three different verbs the same thing. So in verse 9, he says, be on your guard. In verse 23, he says, be on guard. In verse 33, he says, be on guard and keep awake. In verses 34 and 35, he says, stay awake. And then at the very end of this long discourse that he's given in Mark chapter 13, he says, in case you didn't hear me the first six times, and what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. You have this little spot, Jesus is saying. You have this little place where you're the doorkeeper. Everybody here has the opportunity to be a doorkeeper. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are or how talented you are or how rich you are or how poor you are or whether you're black or white, Latino. It doesn't matter. You are a doorkeeper. And Jesus says, in that little spot where I and my sovereignty have placed you with, with your family and your network of friends and your job and, and your gifts and your resources and your talents, he says, that's your place. You're the doorkeeper. Watch for me. Wait for me. Stand on guard for me. Advent is this beautiful time, this gift that the church gives us every year. Every year. It's actually the beginning of our year. So it's a new year. 2020 was bad. Well, we got a new year starting today. Yeah. 20 slash 21, the church year. And in this gift, Jesus says, I want you to watch for me. 
I want you to wait. I want you to stay awake. I want you to wake up for my first coming, which happened long ago. I want you to stay awake for my second coming. And I want you to stay awake for lots of comings, places where I might want to come to you and, and visit you and your, the, the job that you've given, that I've given you. The early church had a word for this, primarily in the Eastern church. They, they used the word nepsis, N-E-P-S-I-S, which meant watchfulness or Probably better just vigilance. Vigilance. This standing ready. I was trying to think of, a, I gave you a negative example of, of vigilance at the, in the opening of the sermon. Let me give you a positive example, because I've actually seen this in my pastoral ministry, seen this at least three or four times. So here's a man who's been married over 60 years. His wife is lost in a fog of dementia. Sometimes she wakes up, occasionally. You don't know when, you can't predict it, but sometimes she wakes up. She looks him in the eyes, she recognizes him, and she says, oh, honey, or darling, or whatever their word of affection is, thank you, I love you. And then she goes back into the fog. But that guy is on duty. He's vigilant. He's tending to her needs. He's waiting for those words. That's vigilance. One of the early Christians, a, a desert monk in the early centuries of the church said this. He said, all you need is a vigilant spirit. Why would he say that? Because everything in the Christian life flows from that. If you have a vigilant spirit, you're open, you're alert, you're waiting for messages from Jesus. You're, you're, there's movement and joy and love at the center of your life with Jesus. If you don't have vigilance, if you've lost it, you will be distracted. You will be stuck. You will lose momentum. It will seem boring. So Jesus is saying it all starts here. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. So in this long discourse, which takes up two whole pages in my large Bible, I'm going to summarize it by saying that Jesus basically says two things to us sprawled throughout this long, meandering discourse. He's going to say, vigilance is really hard, and it might get harder. There will be times when it's really hard, seasons of life, times in history, epochs in history where it's really hard. But secondly, Jesus says, it's hard, but I will be vigilant for you. And so because of that, we can be vigilant for him. But I will be vigilant for you. First, vigilance is hard, and it might get harder. Verse 5 of chapter 13, Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. Because when life gets hard, when life gets confusing, it's really easy to be led astray. And actually, he uses that same Greek word three times in Mark 13. It literally meant to just, to just wander aimlessly. It was used of planets that didn't seem to follow any course. It was used of horses that just seemed to meander and not really go anywhere or not know where they were. If you want to get a modern-day interpretation of that, it would be like looking at your cell phone 
and going, well, I'm just going to look at my email, or I'm just going to look at one Facebook post. And then two and a half hours later, you're going, whoa, whoa, how did I get there? And where did the time go? You have been led astray. You have wandered aimlessly. And Jesus is going to say, it's, it's really easy when life gets hard. It's easy to be distracted, to check out, to escape, to go numb spiritually and emotionally. That's the opposite of vigilance. So all throughout this passage, Jesus is going to say, you know, the world is a very fragile place. The, a country is a fragile thing. Freedom is a fragile thing. Human rights are a fragile thing. Your health during COVID, we found, is, is a really fragile thing, even living in America. Our financial security can be fragile. Nature, creation in a fallen world can be fragile. So Jesus is going to say it's going to be easy to check out. Now, as you read these events, which some of them seem really scary in Mark chapter 13, you may wonder, when is he, what's the time period? Is he talking about right around his time period in, in A.D. 70 when the, uh, the armies moved into Jerusalem and sacked Jerusalem and destroyed their magnificent, beautiful temple? Yes. Is he talking about the end of the world before his second coming? Yes. Is he maybe talking about other times in history that are particularly times of social unraveling and unrest and uncertainty? Probably. And depending on where you live in the world, you might have more connections with this text on any given day. In verse 19, he says this, for in those days there will be such tribulation. In verse 24, but then those days after that tribulation, What's he talking about? He's talking about times when the social co cohesion just breaks down. The glue that holds things together seems to be falling apart. What is it marked by? He gives some specific traits. It's not an exhaustive list, but he gives some examples. So one is spiritual deception. It will be a time, these times of, of unraveling will be a time of spiritual deception. So notice verse 22, which uh, one of the verses Margie did not read. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Now, you might think, signs and wonders, isn't that a good thing? Well, sometimes in the Bible it's a good thing, but sometimes it's a bad thing. Here it's a bad thing. These signs and wonders are false teachers, people who are really impressive, and they're really slick, and they're really smart, and they're really respectable, and you really want to like them. Because they give you a message that, like, you know, that's, it's just sort of an easy, soft way to live the Christian life. There's nothing hard about it. You won't be persecuted. You won't be hated. You won't be maligned. You won't be misunderstood. You can have that kind of Jesus. And you can have it right now. All right now. And Jesus says, watch out for that. Watch out for that kind of teaching. It will also be a time of political chaos and confusion and international relationships and, and there will be wars and rumor of wars and nation will rise against nation, he says in verses 6 and 7. You know, we live in a country where it seems like we have nations within each other fighting within this nation. And we wonder, is, is it going to be put back together? It will also be a time of ecological crisis. So Jesus says that there will be Earth, in verse 8, he says there will be uh, earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. 
In AD 61 and AD 63, there were two massive earthquakes. He could have been referring to those coming soon. He could also have been referring to other natural disasters. I don't think he was just limiting to earthquakes. It could be forest fires. It could be hurricanes. It could be a pandemic. And he definitely says there will be hunger. I read a report in the New York Times that said, and I quote, that worldwide there are or will be a quarter billion people who will likely face life-threatening levels of food insecurity. A quarter of a billion. 250 million people. Jesus said there's going to there's be this time of, of, of shaking. And it will be tempting to check out, to numb out to disengage, to just look out for myself or maybe my little family. We will want to wander aimlessly. So two weekends ago, I did something I've never done before. I didn't know I was capable of this. Maybe some of you are old pros at this. But I binge-watched a TV series. Pastor Will said, well, technically, it really wasn't that bad because, you know, people binge-watch much worse than that. But I looked up the defini definition of binge-watching, which, by the way, was invented by Netflix in about 2013, and I binge-watched. I watched a whole TV series in less than 24 hours. I wasn't proud of myself. It wasn't that long, though. It was only six episodes, so... Yeah, I felt like I had just eaten a deep dish pizza covered with Cheetos, you know? I didn't feel very good afterwards. <clears throat> I'm not going to recommend the show. I'm not going to tell you what it is. <laughs> so I went and researched this. I, I didn't feel so bad after I researched this because there are really smart people trying to get you to binge watch. So back in 2013 when Netflix was inventing this idea, you know, and making it just so easy. You get to the end of one episode, and then that little thing shows in the bottom. It's like you don't have to do anything. That boom. You don't even have to hit a remote. It just kind of comes on. It's like, this is amazing. I'm enthralled. So they hired this guy named Grant, Grant McCracken, who is a cultural anthropologist. And uh, just the kind of person you, everybody needs on their church staff team, Bishop, you know. So, uh, so he said this. He said, TV viewers are no longer just zoning out. They are tuning in on their schedule to a different world. They are getting immersed in multiple episodes of a show that is a new kind of escapism that is especially welcomed today. Like, that is such a great definition if what Jesus is talking about is just being led astray, wandering aimlessly, getting immersed in a different world. This time of year, COVID's been going on a long time. Some of us are tired. Some of us are weary. Some of you are struggling with depression and mental, other forms of mental illness and affliction. And, and, and I'm not just, 
I, I don't want to just say that, that because you're depressed, you fit this category. I said last week, God has great mercy on people that are struggling with, with just some profound forms of depression, and the Lord wants to minister to you in these days. But maybe there's something else that you're immersing yourself into that is killing your vigilance. Maybe it's alcohol or pot or porn or social media or work or fear or anxiety or resentment or just outrage at what's going on in our culture, whether it's from the left or from the right. And you've become a security guard asleep on the chair. What if instead of immersing yourself in that other world that's blunting your vigilance for the Lord, what if you immersed yourself in the Lord? You immersed yourself in Jesus. What if, it's just as simple as depending on your schedule, you found 10 minutes um, maybe once or twice a day or you found an hour or whatever your schedule allows and, and you're, you're in your house or your apartment when it's quiet and, there's, and it's hushed and you enter into that silence and you open the Word of God and you listen to the words of Jesus and you are listening. Jesus said you are listening to words that will not pass away. Do you ever really remember anything from the stuff we binge watch or, or just seems so important at the time, whether it's a sports score or whether it's a, a, a cultural phenomenon or, or a fad or a trend? Do we really remember it? Jesus said, my words are going to last forever, and you can listen to those words, and you can get immersed into what someone has called the unseen real, what's really real, the Lord Jesus. Maybe Advent is a time for that. So Jesus is saying, it's, it's going to be hard, and it might get harder. But he also says, I'm going to be vigilant for you. One Bible scholar said, uh, this brilliant Bible scholar, I have his two-volume two, uh, set on the Gospel of Matthew. They're each about this thick. He's a master on the Gospel of Matthew, profound scholar. He says, let me summarize, um, let me summarize the same text that's found in Matthew that's found in Mark. And he says, here it is. Here's the summary. Jesus is saying, it's going to be really rough. Hold up your heads and hang in there because I'm coming to set things right. That's Mark 13. <laughs> yeah. I grew up in a church tradition <clears throat> that said that before things get really bad, Jesus is going to extract his followers out of it, and there's going to be like this escape, this portal, and we're all going to get airlifted out of it. And we're not going to go through any of the hard times that all the rest of the sinners are going to have to go through. Now, there's some people I respect that hold this view. But it's not the teaching of Mark chapter 13. It's not the experience of most of the church around the globe. It's not the experience of our friends in Nigeria today. It's not the experience of our, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in China or in Hong Kong who are getting arrested for long-term jail sentences for pro-democracy protests. That's not their experience. It's not been the experience of the African-American church in our country. It's not been the experience of many of our Latino friends and neighbors. Jesus says, I'm going to give you my presence, my hope, my strength, my power in the midst of this tribulation. And until that time, and, I, and I'm, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to set all things right, but until that time, 
I'm going to walk with you through any hard time. Let me give you a couple examples from this passage. Just a few quick examples. So back in chapter, Mark chapter 13, verse 10, Jesus says, he's saying that um, you're going to be delivered over. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be delivered. You're going to stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, again, this is happening in places like Nigeria and China and Hong Kong. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to be with you. So this, what looks like a catastrophe, the world falling apart, is actually this incredible open door that's going to give some of us and some of our brothers and sisters around the globe an opportunity to share the gospel. See how Jesus is with us in the midst of our tribulation. There's another uh, couple more, just examples. Verse 26, and then they will see the Son of Man. That's a code phrase for Jesus found in the Old Testament in Daniel chapter 7, if you want to look it up. You will see the Son of Man, which Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man. It's a pretty outlandish claim if he's not. So you'll see him coming in clouds. Clouds was always a symbol of the presence of God in the Old Testament with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. God is going to gather together his church. He's going to gather together people from around the globe. He knows where they are. He knows their name. He, no matter how lost you feel, no matter how disoriented you feel, no matter how confused you feel, no matter how upset you are, no matter how lonely you are, no matter how deep you're suffering, Jesus says, I'm going to know, I know where you are, and I'm coming, and I'm going to bring you to myself. Just one more example of how Jesus is with us in our suffering and tribulation. Verse 32. This has been a really hard verse. It's a hard verse for, throughout the history of biblical interpretation. It's been a verse, honestly, I never understood. 45 years of reading the Bible, I was like, I don't really get this verse. And then all of a sudden, boom, it clicked. I think this is what it means. So he says this, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows. So all these people that are predicting when Jesus is going to come and all that kind of stuff, no one knows. But then he goes on to say, not even angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. So it's Jesus saying, I'm not equal to the Father? I thought Jesus said, I and the Father are one. I thought that Jesus was fully God and fully man. So what's he saying here? I think he's saying actually something incredibly comforting, especially for people that are in tribulation, especially for people that are suffering. He's saying this, from eternity past to eternity future, my relationship as God the Son with God the Father has been a relationship of intimate trust. Just like you, I trust my Father. I stand in solidarity with you. In Isaiah chapter 64, we had that the first reading you heard read, you have one of these rare references in the Old Testament to God as a Father. But it's so important to Jesus' relationship to the Father that he constantly talked about it. In the midst of chaos and crisis, in the midst of illness and disease, in the midst of even when I'm going to be nailed to the cross, even when I feel like, feel like, humanly speaking, completely abandoned, God will still 
be my father. And I can still trust him. And so can you. Because I stand in solidarity with you. I also trust my father. And I'm calling you to trust my father. And I can show you how to do that. That's why Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Don't be anxious. I will be vigilant for you. Verse 34, Jesus said, it is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. I love that. Each with his work. You have a little work, a little post where you're the doorkeeper. You have a little post where you're the doorkeeper. It's not anybody else's. It's your job. Jesus has given that to you. It's a gift. Sometimes I, we want to say, my place is so small. It's so insignificant. Why does it matter? Or we might say, you know, there's so many rich and powerful people. Uh, who am I? Or I, you, I have so many problems and sins. Uh, you know, uh, why me? Or we might say, I'm really entitled. My life's hard. I deserve to check out. Jesus says, no, my Father has given you a, a spot. You are the doorkeeper right there. You, it's right in front of you. It's right around you every day. I want you to join me in one prayer this Advent. Maybe something you can just pray every morning when you wake up. I'm, I'm going to try this. Just pray, Lord Jesus, give me a vigilant spirit. That's it. Give me a vigilant spirit. If there have been ways that I've lost my vigilant, restore it, Lord. If there have been ways that I can grow in vigilance, help me in that. And by the way, rest is not opposed to vigilance. Actually, rest can increase our vigilance. True rest. Not this kind of un unhealthy, escapist, numbing out rest. But true rest, Sabbath rest, can actually fuel our vigilance. So during Advent, we, we take stock of our lives and we say, how, how am I? Have I lost my vigilance? Have I grown numb? Am I angry, apathetic? Is my heart hard? Is my heart cold? Am I indifferent to the suffering of those around me? And we say, Lord Jesus, give me a vigilant spirit. Now, I don't want to close without us missing who is saying these words. I know I've, I've done this, and I just, I'm shocked at how often I do this. I read the words of Jesus, but I forget that Jesus is the one that's telling them to me. They're just like words in a book, words on a page. Who is this one that's talking to me? He's not just the one who says, be vigilant, but he's the one who says, I am vigilant for you. I am fighting for you. I came to earth as a baby. I became vulnerable. I became weak. I became lower than a servant for you. I am going to die on the cross for you and for your sins. I am fighting for you. I've been thinking a lot about a verse in 1 John. It says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Well, I would like to say, in this is vigilance, not that we were vigilant for God, but that he was vigilant for us. It all begins there. He's like a husband watching for his beloved to wake up. Out of her fog of dementia, out of her disorder, out of her distraction, he's waiting, he's working in love for her so that she can awaken and say, thank you, I love you. Or in the case of God, Jesus, we also say, I believe in you. I will follow you. I will obey you. And that, beloved, is you. This first Sunday of Advent, he's waiting for you. Will you wake up? In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.